0: Chapter Six of We of the Never Never by Jeanie Mrs. Aeneas Gunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, the homestead, standing halfway up the slope that rose from the billabong, had, after all, little of that down-at-heels anything'll-do appearance that Mac had so scathingly described. No one could call it a commodious station home, and it was even patched up and shabby but for all that neat and cared for. An orderly little array of one-roomed buildings, built mostly of sawn slabs, and ranged round a broad, oblong space with a precision that suggested the idea of a section of a street cut out from some neat, compact little village. The cook's quarters, kitchens, men's quarters, store, meat-house, and wagon-house, facing each other on either side of this oblong space, formed a short avenue the main thoroughfare of the homestead, the centre of which was occupied by an immense wood-heap, the favourite gossiping place of some of the old black fellows. While across the western end of it, and looking down on it, but a little aloof from the rest of the buildings, stood the house, or rather, as much of it as had been rebuilt after the cyclone of 1897. As befitted their social positions, the forge and black boys' humpy, kept a respectful distance well round the southeastern corner of this thoroughfare, but for some unknown reason the fowl roosts had been erected over Sam Lee's sleeping quarters. That comprised this tiny homestead of a million and a quarter acres, with the Catherine settlement a hundred miles to the north of it, one neighbor ninety miles to the east, another a hundred and five to the south, and others about two hundred to the west. Unfortunately, Max's description of the house had been only too correct. With the exception of one roughly finished room at its eastern end, it was mostly verandas and promises. After the cyclone had wrecked the building, scattering timber and sheets of iron in all directions, everything had lain exactly where it had fallen for some weeks, at the mercy of the wind and weather. At the end of those weeks, a travelling Chinese carpenter arrived at the station with such excellent common-sense ideas of what a bush homestead should be that he had been engaged to rebuild it. His plans showed a wide-roofed building built upon two-foot piles with two large centre rooms opening into each other and surrounded by a deep veranda on every side, while two small rooms, a bathroom and an office, were to nestle each under one of the eastern corners of this deep twelve-foot veranda. Without a doubt, excellent common sense ideas but unfortunately much larger than the supply of timber. Rough-hewn posts for the two-foot piles and veranda supports could be had for the cutting, and therefore did not give out. But the man used joists and uprights, with such reckless extravagance, that by the time the skeleton of the building was up, the completion of the contract was impossible. With philosophical indifference, however, he finished one room completely, left a second, a mere outline of uprights and tie beams, apparently forgot all about the bathroom and office covered the whole roof including verandas with corrugated iron surveyed his work with a certain amount of stolid satisfaction then announcing that would bin finisome applied for his cheque and departed and from that day nothing further had been done to the house which stood before us mostly verandas and promises although mac's description of the house had been apt he had sadly underrated the furniture there were four chairs all up to my weight, while two of them were up to the malukas. The cane was all gone, certainly, but had been replaced with green hide seats. Not green in colour, of course, only green in experience, never having seen a tan pit. In addition to the chairs, the dining table, the four-poster bed, the wire mattress, and the looking-glass, there was a solid deal side table, made from the side of a packing case, with four solid legs, and a solid shelf underneath. Also, a remarkably steady washstand that had no wear of any description, and a remarkably unsteady chest of four drawers, one of which refused to open, while the other three refused to shut. Further, the dining-table was more than fairly steady, three of the legs being perfectly sound, and it therefore only threatened to fall over when leaned upon. And lastly, although most of the plates and all the cups were enamelware, there was almost a complete dinner service in China. The teapot, however, was tin and as mac had said as big as a house as for the walls not only were the works of art there but they themselves were uniquely dotted from ceiling to floor with the muddy imprints of dogs feet not left there by a pegasus breed of winged dogs but made by the muddy feet of the station dogs as they pattered over the timber when it lay awaiting the carpenter and no one had seen any necessity to remove them outside the verandahs and all around the house was what was to be known later as a garden a grassy stretch of hillocky ground well scratched and beaten down by dogs goats and fowls fenceless itself being part of the grassy acres which were themselves fenced round to form the homestead enclosures just inside this enclosure forming in fact the south-west barrier of it stood the bullabong then a spreading sheet of water along its banks flourished the vegetable garden outside the enclosure toward the southeast lay a grassy plain a mile across, and to the northwest were the stockyards and house paddock, a paddock of five square miles, and the only fenced area on the run, while well, everywhere to the northwards, and all through the paddock, were dotted white ant hills, all shapes and sizes, forming brick-red turrets among the green scrub and timber. Well, Max said, after we had completed a survey, I said it wasn't a fit place for a woman, didn't I? but the head stockman was one of his most argumentative moods. "'Any place is a fit place for a woman,' he said, "'provided the woman is fitted for the place. "'The right man in the right place, you know. "'Square people shouldn't try to get into round holes.' "'The woman's square enough,' the maluka interrupted, and Mac added, "'and so is the hole, "'with a scornful emphasis on the word hole. "'Dan chuckled and surveyed the queer-looking building "'with new interest.' It reminds me of a banyan tree with corrugated iron foliage, he said, adding as he went into details. In a dim light the furnished room would pass for the trunk of the tree, and the uprights for the supports of the branches. But the maluka thought it looked more like a section of a mangrove swamp, piles and all. It looks very like a house nearly finished, I said severely, for because of the veranda and many promises I was again hopeful for something approaching that commodious station home. A few able-bodied men, could finish the dining-room in a couple of days and make a mansion of the rest of the building in a week or so but the able-bodied men had a different tale to tell steady go slow missus they cried it may look like a house very nearly finished but out bush we have to catch our hares before we cook em we begin at the very beginning of things in the never-never the Moloka explained timber grows in trees in these parts and has to be coaxed out with a saw "'It's a bad habit it's got into,' Dan chuckled, then pointing vaguely towards the thickly wooded long reach that lay a mile to the south of the homestead, beyond the grassy plain. He supposed the dining-room was down there just now, with the rest of the house. With vast ebbing hopes, I looked in dismay at the distant forest undulating along the skyline, and the maluka said sympathetically, "'It's only too true, little un.' But Dan disapproved of spoken sympathy under trying circumstances it keeps him from towing the line he believed and fearing i was on the point of showing the white feather he broke in with we'll have to keep her towing the line boss and then pointed out that things might be worse in some countries there are no trees to cut down he said that's the style he added when i began to laugh in spite of my disappointment we'll soon get you educated up to it but already the sanguine scot had found the bright side of the situation and reminded us that we were in the land of plenty of time. There's time enough for everything in the never-never, he said. She'll have many a pleasant ride along the reach, choosing trees for timber. Catching the hare is often the best part of the fun. Mac's cheery optimism always carried all before it. Pleasant rides through shady forest ways seemed a fair recompense for a little delay, and my spirits went up with a bound, to be dashed down again the next moment by Dan. "'We haven't got to the beginning of things yet,' he interrupted, following up the line of thought the maluka had at first suggested. "'Before any trees are cut down, we'll have to dig a saw-pit and find a pit sawyer.' Dan was not a pessimist. He only liked to dig down to the very root of things, besides objecting to sugar-coated pills as a hindrance to education. But Dan had joined the group, and being practical, suggested trying to get a hold of little Johnny, declaring that he would make things hum in no time. Mac happened to know that Johnny was inside somewhere on a job, and it was arranged that Dan should go into the Catherine at once for nails and things, and to see if the telegraph people could find out Johnny's whereabouts down the line, and send him along. But preparations for a week's journey take time out Bush, owing to the necessity of beginning at the beginning of things. Fresh horses were mustered, a mob of bullocks rounded up for a killer, swags and pack-bags packed, and just as always in readiness for the start, the quiet stockman came in, bringing a small mob of colts with him. "'I'm leaving,' he announced in the quarters. Then, feeling some explanation was necessary, added, "'I was thinking of it before this happened.' Strictly speaking, this may be true, although he omitted to say that he had abandoned the idea for some little time. No one was surprised, and no one thought of asking what had happened, for Jack had always steered clear of women, as he termed it. Not that he feared or dislike them, "'but because he considered that they had nothing in common with men. "'They're such terrors for asking questions,' he said once, "'when pressed for an opinion, adding as an afterthought. "'They never seem to learn much, either,' in his own quiet way, "'summing up the average woman's conversation with a shy bushman. "'A long string of purposeless questions, "'followed by inane remarks on the answers. "'I'm leaving,' Jack had said, "'and later met the maluka unshaken in his resolve.' There was that in the maluka, however, that Jack had not calculated on, a something that drew all men to him, and made Dan speak of him in after-years as the best boss I ever struck. And although the interview only lasted a few minutes, and the maluka spoke only of the work of the station, yet in those few minutes the quiet stockman changed his mind, and the notice was never given. "'I'm staying on,' was all he said on returning to the quarters, and quick decisions being unusual with Jack, everyone felt interested. "'Going to give her a chance?' Dan asked with a grin. And Jack looked uncomfortable. "'I've only seen the boss,' he said. Dan nodded with approval. "'You've got some sense left, then,' he said, "'if you know a good boss when you see one.' Jack agreed in monosyllables. But when Dan settled down to argue out the advantages of having a woman about the place, he looked doubtful. But having nothing to say on the subject, said nothing and when Dan left for the Catherine the next morning, he was still unconvinced. Dan set out for the north track soon after sun-up, assuring us that he'd get hold of Johnny somehow, and before sundown a traveller crossed the creek below the billabong at the south track and turned into the homestead enclosure. We were vaguely chatting on all and sundry matters as we sat under the veranda that faced the billabong when the traveller came into sight. Horse-traveller, Max said, "'lazily shading his eyes, and then sprang to his feet with a yell. "'Talk of luck!' he shouted. "'You'll do, missus. Here's Johnny himself.' "'It was Johnny, sure enough. "'But Johnny had a cheque in his pocket, "'and was yearning to see the chaps at the Catherine, "'and after a good look through the house and store, "'decided that he really would have to go into the settlement. "'For tools and things. "'I'll be back in a week, missus,' he said next morning, "'as he gathered his reins together before mounting.' and then we shan't be long three days in and three days out you know bar accidents and a day's spell at the katherine he explained glibly but the chaps at the katherine proved too entertaining for johnny and a fortnight passed before we saw him again End of chapter six